0: Well, we've said it a lot this weekend so far, anchored in mission, but what exactly does it mean to be anchored in mission? What do we mean when we say that? I want to propose that at least being anchored in mission involves knowing the plan and sticking to the plan. Let's think a little bit about this. Knowing the plan and sticking to the plan. I have a memory of me and my dad sitting in the car outside of the Costco on Cabot. And I was a little kid, and this happened several times. He would look at me, and he'd point to the clock, and he'd say, it's 3 o'clock. We're gonna get in there, we're gonna get the stuff that we need to get, and we're gonna be back, and this clock's gonna say 312. This was before COVID took away free samples from us, okay? I don't remember if it was 12 minutes, but he would do that often. Let's set a goal. Let's get in, let's get out. Now, that's a serious task at Costco because there's a lot of things that can distract you, namely the, the samples, right? You're going from one, you know, you're, you're going on your mission to get your thing, except you see a sample over here. Oh, I, I'm gonna try that. Oh, that tastes good, I need to buy that, okay? And then before you know it, your, your cart is full of all sorts of things that you didn't come in for, and it's taken a lot longer than you expected it to take. So when I would go on these shopping trips with my dad, he would sit there in the car, draft the plan, and then we would enter the store, like men on a mission, enter, get what we were after, resist the siren calls of the, uh, the free samples and the $5 rotisserie chicken. How do they even charge that much for the fully cooked chicken? right? We would get our stuff, get to the line, and get out. Are you someone who's... Anchored in mission, can it be said of you, when it relates to you and God, that you are a man on a mission for God? You've got that sort of focus, that sort of drive, that sort of commitment. Do you know God's plan? Do you know the plan? And do you stick to the plan? Are you a man on a mission? Can that be said of you? Well, that's our task here This morning is to think about that together. How can we be men on mission for God? Last session was a plea to be anchored in the Word, and this session looks at the contents of the words. The Bible, from cover to cover, communicates a consistent message about what God's mission is. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, God's mission is clear. It's consistent. We've said it. There's a lot of things that do change in our society. You change. Your family is changing before your eyes. Society is changing before your eyes. God's mission is one of those things that has not changed. It's been consistent. It remains consistent, and we know how it ends. And you need to be committed to that mission and committed to playing your part in it. So open your Bibles to the first page. Genesis chapter 1. What is the mission of God? I want to answer that question because, as I've said, if you want to be anchored in mission, you need to know the plan and stick to the plan. So the first point here is to know the plan. Point number one, know the plan. I'm going to argue From cover to cover, that God's plan is, and we can put this up on the screen, God's mission is to glorify himself by rescuing people. And we can say it that simply, but I added a little bit of clarification. By bringing these people into relationship with him and sharing in his goodness. But the bottom line is God's mission is to glorify himself by rescuing people. That's how it starts, and that's how it ends. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Know the plan. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he goes through the six days of creation, and at the end of each day, he says, this is good. This is good. This is good. And then you can see in your Bibles, at the end of the sixth day, he says, this is very good. Verse 25, or uh, he says that it was good regarding the animals there, and then very good in verse 31. So what was it about the garden that was good? Did it look good? Was it pretty? Was it aesthetically pleasing? Was it in complete harmony and, and perfection? Yes, I think it was all those things. But I think there's a significant way that God calling His creation good, and even very good, signals that he thinks that the creation, the thing that he made, is good because it's accomplishing what he intended for it to accomplish. Creation is good in the garden because it's doing exactly what it was created to do. Now, I'm not much of a craftsman, but I did build something recently, and um, we can put it up on the screen proud of this uh, work of uh, woodworking that you can see here. I've got um, a stand for my outboard motor. Okay, I built that thing from scratch. No plans, no nothing. Just uh, found some scraps in my side yard. You can see some redwood there and some pine painted white. It's just what I had, and uh, I made it work, you know? So, and you know what? When I was done making that thing, I felt pretty good about it. Like, that's good. Now, It's not the prettiest thing. My wife doesn't want us to put it in our living room, but it's good because it gets the job done. It's designed to hold up my motor so I can put it in a bucket of water and rinse it out. That's the sole purpose of that thing. I don't care if it's two-color woods. I don't care if it looks good. That's what the purpose is, and I'm hitting the target. And when God creates his creation, he does a much better job than, than my handiwork, right? He makes a beautiful creation. It's perfect. It's beautiful in every way. Perfect harmony perfection, and he says this is very good, and it's doing exactly what he created it to do. He created people to be in relationship with him, to share in his goodness. That's what was happening, and then you know how the story goes. We get to chapter three. There's, there's one great chapter, and then chapter three, sin enters the scene, and while in the garden up until this point, there was no need to be rescued because everything was good, when sin enters the equation, now people have a problem. They need to be rescued by God. The relationship with God is broken. People are separated from Him and His goodness. And now, whereas man was on path to enjoy a relationship with God forever, he's now on a trajectory that entails separation from Him and His goodness Death and miserable destruction. So, God's mission from this point in our Bibles on is to glorify Himself by rescuing people, bringing them into relationship with Him and sharing in His goodness. Sure, He knew the plan before the foundations of of the earth, before time, but in time, this is when man was in need of being rescued. And it stays this way until the end of our Bibles, and we're going to look uh, through our Bibles to get to that end and see, to see how it ends. But from here, Genesis chapter 3, we're just going to quickly go through the entire Bible, okay? Uh, in ch- chapter 12, we meet a guy named Abram. Chapter 12, God forms a covenant with Abram, and he says, I'm choosing you. I'm going to have a relationship with you. I'm going to share my goodness with you. I'm going to bless the nations through you. So he's executing the plan. So God said to Abram, verse one, go from your country and your kindred your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Pretty significant promise here that through this man, God would bless and reach and form a relationship with the nations. Restore them back to being in right relationship with him. And so as the Old Testament unfolds, we realize that this man, Abram, has a family. The family becomes a nation itself, Israel. Israel is God's um, people, and he has a special relationship with them, forms a covenant with them, gives them his law, tells them how to live right with him. It goes on. In, within that nation, there's a king. His name is David. David is promised to have a son, a seed, who will, through whom God will continue his plan and save the world. We get in our Old Testaments to Isaiah chapter 66. Let me flip there. Isaiah chapter 66 in verse 18 God says, I, "I know their works and their thoughts," Isaiah sixty-six eighteen. And the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pole, Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away. That have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. They shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord. And it goes on, but God's plan from the Old Testament, from the start up till here, and it goes on, is to restore people back to right relationship with Him. He's done that through a person, through a people, through this people, through the na- to the nations. And then we get to the seed of David, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, when we get to the Gospels. Look in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 17. Why did God send his son to the world? Well, verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God sent his son to rescue people, to be that agent, to rescue people, to execute the plan. to live a perfect life, to die as our substitute. So God himself takes matters into his own hands, comes, condescends, walks the earth in the form of Jesus Christ, lives, dies as our substitute, makes a way for us to be right with God and to be back in relationship with him because our sin separated us from him. So here's how God determined to go about accomplishing his mission through Christ. We flip over to John chapter 14. Jesus is on earth for a short period of time, accomplishes his mission, to live and die as our substitute. And look at verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. John 14, 25. But the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Holy Spirit is going to come when Jesus leaves and he's going to fill the to, to dwell inside of believers and equip them help them, assist them to now carry out this mission in the absence of Jesus. Because John goes on to say in chapter 20, John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so God's plan is continuing to unfold through Abraham, through Israel, through the seed of David, through Jesus Christ, now through the disciples. Because Jesus fulfilled his mission, he died, he rose, he ascended, and he left the Spirit in his place so that his disciples could carry out the mission after him. And so here you have the the great commission according to John. Just as I was sent, so I am sending you. Go and make disciples. Tell people about God's plan in Christ to rescue people, to get out of the predicament that they're in because of their sin and back into a right relationship with their creator. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the mission extends beyond the 11 disciples, to the first Christians of the early church. And Paul tells them, you are ambassadors for Christ. When you speak and you tell people about God's mission, it's God speaking through you. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And this is where you and me, we enter into the story. A couple thousand years later, as representatives of Christ, ambassadors for Christ, to continue the commission of Christ, the assignment to go into the world and to tell people about the mission of God, how to be right with Him. But the Bible gives us history that is yet to take place. So look at Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Look at verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from, you guessed it, every nation From all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Look at chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the, sound, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And then in chapter 20, verse 5, The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power for they will be priests of God and of Christ and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And then verse 21, chapter 21, verse five, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is future history. This is when the mission... Is completed this is how it ends mission accomplished right here, what God set out to do in the garden He completes on this day that we get to be a part of. This is the moment right at the the end of the the Super Bowl when the confetti 's floating everywhere and the color of the team that 's won and there 's lights flashing, and there 's a person standing with a trophy and Uh, All attention is drawn on, on the person, fans cheering. Completion, victory, mission accomplished, it's over. What that team set out to do, that team succeeded in doing, and the others didn't make it. Jesus wins, God's plan succeeds, and this is what it is. So if you want to be a man on mission, it is essential that you know the plan, this is the plan of God in a nutshell. A jet tour <laughs> through it, if you will. And once this is completed, once this scene in Revelation takes place, there, there is no more mission, at least not in the way that I've defined it here. The mission is complete. It's over at this point. God's mission became necessary at the fall when man broke his relationship with God and needed to be saved from his condition. But once God's people are restored, this mission is over. So this is the mission of God, to glorify himself by rescuing people. So if you want to be anchored in mission, you need to know what that mission is. But knowing theology is not enough, and that's why the sermon doesn't end here. Having good doctrine and clarity on what God's mission is is really important. But it's not the final step in our process here to be men who are anchored in mission. Okay, so point number two, you can you maybe guess what it is at this point, but stick to the plan. You need to stick to this plan. I took my son fishing in Dana Point Harbor recently. We rented a kayak over by Baby Beach, and we fished around that, that corner of the harbor where the Ocean Institute is. Maybe you can envision that. And we're in this little like, two-person kayak, and I was shocked at how much effort it was for me to keep us positioned where i wanted us to be in the channel i mean there's boats going by there's there there's people you know all these pesky paddle boarders going all over the place and um, and so i'm constantly positioning uh, so it's a good thing we weren't catching any fish, you know, because I had to be holding onto the paddle the whole time uh, to keep us where I wanted us to be. And if you know that spot on the harbor, you'll know that there's also some moorings over there. I don't know, like five or seven or something like that. And there were some bigger boats that were moored, and this was before I knew I was preaching on anchored admission, or at least before I was thinking about it. But I was reflecting on this and just the difference between being in this little, you know, floating piece of plastic, getting like we're inside the harbor, so you know we weren't out in the open sea. It wasn't as as bad as it could have been. But even just the tides and the movement of the waters, it was constant work for me to keep us in one spot. And such a contrast between us and these bigger boats that are anchored to those uh, moorings there. And just constant, steady. They were there before we came. They were there when we left. They're, maybe they're still there that now. I don't know. But that's the contrast. And I think the reality is the way drift works is if you're not anchored, drift is the automatic result. Drift happens automatically when you're not anchored. So we know the plan of God. We know the mission of God. We say we want to be anchored to the mission of God. That's great. Are you, are you thinking about that? Are you committed to staying there? Because if not, then you are drifting. You have drifted. Now, there's a lot of things for us to keep in our minds as Christians, but as we pause right now and consider our, the mission of God and our place in it, I just want to challenge you to consider have you been drifting away from this plan? Have you been living like a man on a mission for God to be his representative to accomplish his plans here? Let's get anchored to the mission of God. And here's a couple ways. I'm gonna give you some subpoints. Letter A, pray for God's mission. Matthew chapter six, Jesus gives the, the model prayer. He says, the disciples say, how do we pray? And he says, well, here's how you pray you know how it goes, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The opening words of the model prayer are a call for us to pray for God's mission to be accomplished, right? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Let your mission succeed. Let it Come to fruition. Let it be completed. That's the prayer that Jesus wants us to pray. You think mission should be on our mind? You think it should be at the forefront of our prayers? I think so. So let's pray for God's mission if we want to be anchored in it. Jesus instructed us to pray this way. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 19. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 19 says, uh, Paul, Paul is, he's just gotten done explaining the armor of God. Put on the armor of God and pray at all times in the spirit. And then he adds on in verse 19, this little prayer request. And by the way, verse 19, and also pray for me that words may be given to To me, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. That's mission language. Pray for me that I will fulfill my responsibilities and my mission. And Paul asks for the church at Ephesus to pray for him to succeed in the mission. Jesus told us to pray this way. Paul is requesting personal prayer requests along these lines. Let's be men who pray about the mission of God. And if Paul requests prayer because he needs help in proclaiming the message of the mission of God, how much more so do we need help in proclaiming the mission of God? Other spokespersons, who haven't written epistles. (laughs) They need prayer requests. They they need prayer as well. Pastor Mike, pray for Pastor Mike along these lines when you pray for him. Pastor Elliot, our, our church plant. Ben, Pastor Ben, Pastor Bobby, Pastor Hayden. Pray for the pastors who are actively engaged in this stuff, who are spokespersons for the mission. Pray for our missionaries, the people who we've sent overseas. I guess I haven't really defined. I've been talking about the mission of God. Um, Oftentimes when we talk about missions, we're talking about cross-cultural missions. And I've just defined it more basically here today to say the mission of God and your part in it. That includes cross-cultural and Non cross cultural. Cultural. <laughs> How do you say that? Okay? It includes all of it. Pray for our missionaries, Eric Zeller, others. Pray for the guy sitting next to you. Because we have this task of taking up the, the mantle as Jesus was sent, so he sends us. And we're his ambassadors. So we have a part to play in this, and we got to pray for each other to carry out this mission. In Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, verse 3, well, he says in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. So Paul's asking prayer requests for the, the words to be given to him in the last passage, and then in this one, for the opportunities to say them. Please pray that I get have the words and the opportunities to speak, and that is a prayer that we ought to pray for each other. Let's help each other be men on mission, anchored in mission for the Lord. Let's help by praying for each other. It's the way the Lord told you to pray. Your kingdom come. You're not anchored in God's mission, I don't think, if you don't pray for it. Can you say that you're a man on mission, you're anchored in mission, if you don't pray for it? Prayer is a way for you to be actively engaged in God's mission. It's not the only way. In fact, there's a much Uh, more active way for you to be engaged in it in terms of your activity, your presence, your words. And that's letter B, participate in God's mission. Prayer is not the only way you should be involved in God's mission. You also need to play a part in it uh, by participating. So back in John chapter 20, verse 21, John's Great Commission passage for us, it's clear that the disciples have a crucial part to play. Jesus is not staying on earth. He's leaving. And the mantle falls to the disciples. And the disciples pass on the mantle on down the line to us today. This is how the mission of God proceeds is through his mouthpieces, which were the 11 disciples, the early church, and now you and me. You need to recognize that you have a part to play in God's mission. If you're a Christian, you have a responsibility. So it's important to know the plan. And now in, in knowing the plan, you can effectively contribute and fulfill your responsibility in this plan. So you play a part in God's mission being carried out. You get to play for the the winning team. This means that your entire life ought to be directed to this end. You're on a team. You're part of the church. You have a mission. You have a responsibility. So you're not a businessman if if you are a businessman you are a businessman for the sake of God's mission it's the, a fundamental shift when you become a christian you're on a team you play a part whatever your profession you're there you're not just that you're that for the sake of God and his mission you're not a husband you're a husband for the sake of God and His mission. You're not a father. You're a father for the sake of God and His mission. This transforms your perspective of every circumstance, every job, every encounter, everything you do to become eternally meaningful. The, the, real, the, the reality of things is that every situation, every job, every encounter, you are a man for God. And maybe you haven't delivered and represented in the way that you should in those instances, in that job, in that family, in that marriage. But that is the reality. You are a husband for God. You are a worker for God and His mission. So let's start lining up our actions With the reality of things and telling people about the mission of God. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is Paul's attitude. It's Jesus' attitude too. I mean, do you ever think about this? Was there ever a time in Jesus' life when he went off mission just for a moment? (laughs) It's like he's going to the grocery store and he forgot what he was here for. I just, I, I, th- there can't have been a point in his lifetime where he strayed from that mission. Every, whether he was at the grocery store, walking from Jerusalem to wherever, he was, it was on mission. He meets the woman at the well, hey, it's on mission. Man, everything. And Paul had this mindset too. Look at chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul, it's like, hey, if you throw me in prison... Guess what? I'm still on mission. I'm just on mission in prison. You're going to put chains on my hands? Okay, well, my hands are still going to be tools to carry out the mission. Every single thing he did was leveraged to contribute to the mission of God. Now, that's a high standard, but that's the way it is. And in the times when we miss the opportunity to speak about the mission, or we make poor choices, our sinful activity is the antithesis of everything that we're saying here. And in those moments, we're, we're men on mission, but we're, we're, just, we're failing in that mission. We don't pause from it. it, it it's not, you're not just on mission when you show up, or when you think about being on mission, man, if you're a Christian, you've been bought with a price. And so God now owns you as his ambassador, his representative in the world. So let's represent him consciously, effectively, fruitfully as contributors to his mission. This means we should view Orange County as our mission field. Okay, this this is, unless you're going to go on a cross-cultural mission sometime soon or plant one of our churches, this area is your mission field. And you are an ambassador for God here. And this mindset changes every encounter, every work relationship, every neighbor, every acquaintance, every friend. It transforms the way you think about Orange County and the the rules and things that you put up with to live here. I think we've all talked about some of the frustrations uh, that we've been experiencing in light of uh, our culture today. And maybe at times you feel like, man, I'm so sick of it here. I just want to pick up and move, right? And that might be a legitimate feeling, that missionaries feel often, <laughs> right? Man, I'm so sick of it here. I feel like picking up and moving. I, I just want to get to a place where people think the way I think and act the way I act, and <sighs> I just want that. Yeah, but, but this is where God has you. This, this is your mission field. The people who are saying those things are recipients of your witness. You bring the words of Christ to them. So rather than seeking to situate yourself in a context where you fit better, view your life as a, one of a missionary and you get to advance the gospel here until God moves you somewhere else. View Compass Bible Church as your team. That's, that's a good thought. I like being on this team. I like my teammates. I like you. I like our church. This is a privilege. We get to do this kind of stuff, men's conference. We get to hear Pastor Mike preach from this pulpit every week. Man, this is a good place to be. This is a good team. So, yes, God has a mission. Yes, you're a part of it. No, it's not a solo sport. It's not all up to you. You are a part of the team here. So show up to practice. (laughs) Let's let's be be here regularly, assemble with your teammates, train with your teammates, work out, practice, help your teammates, come alongside them, let's spur one another on in this, and then let's play together. It's not all up to you to go out and do all of this by yourself, man, you're part of a, a church, a local assembly that is firing on all cylinders trying to do this mission, so come on board here, join the team, participate on the team, find a role, find something that you do that contributes to the cause and do it well. Bring it home, bring it to your neighbors, bring it to your acquaintances, bring it everywhere you go. But you're not alone. I haven't really been watching the... um, the World Series too much? You guys been watching it? I normally do, or the, the you know the postseason, building up to the World Series. Um, postseason baseball is exciting. It's thrilling. It's intense. Every pitch, every moment. There's tension. You can feel it. And we're in it right now. So let's just say we don't know who's going to win the World Series. let's just say that it's going to be the Dodgers, okay? And we're able to go back in time. I I don't know. Maybe this is a bad illustration because you hate the Dodgers and it just doesn't work from here on forward. But just okay. You're able to to go back in time to the beginning of the season and the manager of the team looks at you and says, hey, I I want you to play for us this year. Or if you were the guy who was throwing 50 miles an hour out there at the speed pitch thing, um, I want you to coach for us this year. Whatever. The, The manager is like, be part of the team with us at the beginning of the season. And you had the advantage of knowing the future that this team was gonna win. What a great opportunity that would be to join the team at the grassroots level at the start of the season. You're there for spring training and you get to work with the team and be part of the cause through the regular season, into the postseason, through the World Series to the last pitch of the last game, to the victory, to when the confetti's coming down and you have that moment that we talked about. Man, what an opportunity for the manager to look at you you in the eye and say, "Be part of this team. Join us this year. We're going. We're going to win." And in a very, very real sense, that's exactly what has happened with Jesus looking at his disciples and, in turn, looking at you, saying, "Be part of this team. We're going to the end. We are winning." And I want you to be a part of it. What an opportunity for you to contribute to this. One problem with the word participate, letter B, is that it sounds like a lot of things that we do that are optional. You know, like, I'm not going to participate in the surfing uh, exhibit I'm not going to participate in, in, you know, the curls. I value my biceps, right? So we, we opt into certain things. We participate. And then participation is like we do this for a little while. I'm not going to participate anymore. So I hesitated using that word, but you know what I mean. I'm not talking about participating in God's missions like in one day and then like, you know what? This year has been tough. I'm going to not participate next year. It's going to... Take a break. If you're a man on a mission, you need to participate every day because you are an ambassador for Christ. How often do we fail to participate? Do we stray off mission? Do we forget our job? Miss the opportunity? We've got to be committed to participate daily in God's mission. So you're not anchored to God's mission if all you do is pray for it. You're also not anchored if all you do is pray and participate. I want to provide you with a third task here to sticking to the plan. Let her see. provide. For God's mission. Here's another important biblical concept as it relates to God's mission, and that is your role in providing for it, financially and otherwise, contributing to the cause with your wallet, with your resources. Romans chapter 12, verse 13 says, "'Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality.'" So there's a command right there. Hey, Christian, contribute to the needs of the saints, the practical, tangible needs, financial and otherwise. It's broad. It includes financial contributions, and I think it extends beyond. But what I'm saying here is that we should be giving financially to other people, okay, saints who are on mission for God, Look with me in your Bibles at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 10. And really it starts in verse 6, talking about a cheerful giver. But look at verse 10. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. It's a good thing to give. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. What a, what a great picture. You're giving, church. You're, you're giving, and, and that's supplying the needs, but it's also generating thanksgiving to God. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Look, we should give financially, we should give our resources to the mission of God, to the church who support people who are doing the mission here locally, who support missionaries who are doing the work abroad. We should give. Now, the great irony here in talking about providing for God's mission. Think about that with me for a second. The great irony is that God has every resource at His disposal. And so here we are saying, you need to provide for God's mission. So God has every resource at His disposal, which means He doesn't technically need you to provide anything in order for him to successfully complete his mission. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. In fact, he doesn't need you to technically pray for God's mission either. And you know what? When it comes to our participation, he, he doesn't need that either, technically speaking. In fact, God is capable of accomplishing this mission with the snap of his fingers in an instant, a lot faster, a lot more efficiently, a lot more cleanly than getting me and you involved. Yet, here we are looking from cover to cover in our Bibles today, seeing here's the mission of God and here's where we fit into it. And finding God's mission is to rescue people and he wants us to pray for it, he wants us to participate in it, and he wants us to provide for it. So there's some irony here. I don't need it, but here's what I want you to do. Rescue, salvation, it's God's work. So why does he incorporate you into his mission? Well, one answer is he shares his work with us. He lets us help. We moved into our house that we're in right now, like, um, two years ago, and we demoed some stuff, knocked out some walls, ripped out some carpet, you know, um, I took a a break from work here to go and do work there, and um, rented a huge dumpster and filled the thing up. But there were a couple points during this short stint of demo where... Bethany, my wife, would bring the kids over to help, right? They, I mean, they want to pick up a sledgehammer and hit a wall, right? Don't, you, don't we all? And so they would come over, and of course, I and mean, you know how this goes, they, they come over to help, which is mostly unhelpful. Uh, it's like, all right, put the, put the tools away, unplug the power cords, or un- unplug the power tools, like, um, kids are coming. Do you guys have shoes on? All right, good. So they come in and, and, and like pick up a hammer and start swinging it around. And it's like, wow, you know. And, and so it's like, all right, grab this hammer and hit this wall right here. And I'm like holding and I'm helping. And, and so all the kids, they participated in the, in the demolition of the house and they would hit a wall, knock something down and throw it in the trash can, usually make more of a mess than um, is necessary. Uh, but they contributed, they got the photos to prove it. And so you, you know how this goes. I mean, why, why did we include them in the construction job? It's not really because we needed the help. It's because we wanted to share in the joy of the work. We wanted to share in the opportunity to be part of it. I was willing to share some of those jobs with them for their sake. I let them help me which was more work for me, for their sake, so that they could share in the joy. That's one reason. Another reason God incorporates you, I think, is because it's good for you. It's good for you to put your money where your mouth is, isn't it? You say you're on mission for God, well, give to it. It's good for you to serve other people. And become more selfless and participate in God's mission with your time, your effort, and your energy. You say you like the cause. Well, it's good for you to put your time and your sweat where your mouth is. It's good for you to pray and grow in dependence on the Lord, isn't it? Living on mission for God is the best way to live because this is what God created you to do. Bear his image, represent him. So when you find yourself in the likely scenario of feeling unworthy for the task, unworthy, unskilled, unqualified enough to really be useful, there's good news. Last night, Pastor Mike talked about how he knows everything. He's very aware of your incompetence. He's very aware of your lack of skills. He's very aware of your inhibitions. Yet, he looks at you anyway and says, I want you. I want you to contribute. I want you to be on the team. Join me in my mission. I can do it without you, but join me. And this is how I'm going to go about accomplishing it it's through my instruments, my people, to the nations. Join me. So, know the plan. Stick to the plan. And here are some ways to stick to the plan. If you're going to claim that you are anchored in mission, then you need your mind, your actions, your finances to show it. And really that's what we've tried to do here today is think about our our mind being on mission in, in terms of prayer, our actions being on mission in terms of participation, and our finances being on mission in terms of providing Full, full orbed, whole person investment in this thing. I think that's what it means to be anchored in mission. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for these short two days to pause and consider what it means to be anchored. Help us, Lord, to be anchored in your mission, in the ways that we've discussed, in the details of our daily lives, to represent you well. Thank you for the opportunity and the privilege of participating with you in this task. Help us as a church to sharpen one another to this end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.